Let us give thanks and pray. Almighty God, dear Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Your goodness and mercy which endures forever. We thank Thee, dear Lord, for Your tenderness and Your loving kindness. We thank Thee for the assurance that our sins are all forgiven us that we are cleansed and made white in the blood of the Lamb, and that we are clothed in the pure white linen of the Son of God. We thank Thee, dear Father, that we can worship Thee without fear and with prayer, and in praise and with thanksgiving. Dear Father, we pray for those dear ones who do not have the saving knowledge of Christ, in whose hearts there is an emptiness, in the darkness, and who do not know how they can be made free from their burden of unbelief, nor know how that they may be filled with the peace of God that passes all understanding and the joy of salvation. Oh, dear Father, help us that we may pray for the lost. Help us to bring the light of the gospel who have that light within us unto the unsaved. We pray for our loved ones, those who are near and dear to us who do not know the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And we thank Thee for one another, dear Father. And Holy Father, we ask Thee that Thou would grant us that desire to continuously carry one another with love, with thanksgiving in prayer. And we also pray for all of those who have asked to be remembered in prayer. We pray for young and old alike. We pray for our dear brother in Christ, Roger Christopher. We pray for those families who have experienced such trauma in their lives these recent days. And there are many others And dear Heavenly Father, we also know that you hear and that you answer the prayers of your children. We thank thee, O Lord, that thou art with us. Amen. this afternoon's text, I would like to read from the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning with the 57th verse through verse 79. From the first chapter of Luke, verse 57 through 79, and the Word of God we will read in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I ask that all of you would use the great and mighty weapon of prayer in my behalf as well as yours 
as we read his holy word. Now Elizabeth was full-time, full-time that came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spake by them as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he sware to our fathers Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called a prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes also in the reading of the account of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the promise that was given them, of a son. It is a marvel that God often performs His works in such ways that you and I would have to concur that only God could have done this. No one else, no man would be able, only God can. Zacharias was priest, and it was his function at this time in which he was called to serve in the temple, to offer incense unto the Lord. It's interesting that it is incense that he was called to offer. The incense is representative of the prayer of all the saints 
And you remember in the book of Revelation that the Bible speaks of the prayers of the saints which have risen. And they have entered into golden vials and are before God night and day, entering into his nostrils as a sweet-smelling savor. I don't think I would be assuming too much if I would say that I think Zacharias had long forgotten that God would actually answer his and his wife's prayer that they would be given a child. It's often easier to believe for others that God hears the prayers of others. Sometimes we can believe that God indeed hears my prayers. But the prayers that I have prayed long ago, which at this time in my life, Zacharias, it seems, would have been thinking, surely cannot be answered anymore. Because my wife truly is well beyond childbearing age. But God takes great pleasure, beloved, in doing that which is impossible for man to do. It is God's work and His will to reveal unto us that which we cannot see or understand or comprehend or ever have begun to be able to put together and conclude that it would be so, as we also read. But here Zacharias is, as he's offering incense, which means that he is here in the presence of being reminded of what great value God places upon prayer. And here he is reminded as all the children of Israel who were there in Jerusalem at that time are being reminded there is a priest who is offering in your behalf your prayers before the mercy seat of God in heaven. And the Apostle Paul explains that this priest that we have is Christ Jesus himself, whoever lives and makes intercession for the saints of God, whose prayers in our behalf never fail, and our prayers, when they are prayed in his name, which would be according to his will, shall never be failed, neither to be heard nor to be answered. They shall always be remembered. And God takes great pleasure in answering our prayers. And certainly in his time, the angel appears, the ministering spirits, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ has been sent from the presence of God to speak unto Zacharias and explain to him that your prayers have been heard. You and your wife shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Sometimes the thought has also come to me, and I'm sure to you as well, that when God gives us answers to our prayers, not only do we rejoice at this answer, And neither do we only keep this answer to ourselves. We do not hide it, but we speak unto others of God's answer to our prayers. 
and how that God has blessed us in answering, so that not only do we rejoice, but others rejoice with us. Not only are the answers that God gives, as Elizabeth and Zacharias pray that they would be given a child, a son. But this son should not only be a blessing, as your answers from God not only is a blessing unto you, but it shall be a blessing unto many others. God's answers to our prayers are often so rich and so full that they reach unto all the children of God and unto many that are in the world. Look at how God had blessed this little lad who had a few small barley loaves and a few small fishes. When the Lord Jesus Christ received them from this lad of perhaps 10, 12 years old, as there are many of that age here with us this afternoon, God receives those. And Jesus takes those gifts and he prays unto the Father. And when we also pray in his name, God blesses that little, which seems that how can anyone be blessed by that which is so little? And God is able, out of that which was so little, to bless not only myself, but he blesses many others. And we can all believe that, that that which God has given unto us spiritually, and as well as materially, all that is of God, is a blessing both to us and unto others. And in the case of the lad, there were thousands that God you that in the case of the lad using him and the little that he had reached unto many thousand. They were all filled. Isn't that amazing? How God teaches the children such great, great things in their early age. We ought also to do the same. Zachariah had learned this when his was small, when he was young. He is still learning this while he is an old man with his wife. Oh, God blesses and reaches the many others. And the blessing that God gives is always a blessing that brings joy and gladness. <clears throat> he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall neither drink wine nor store strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared of the Lord for the Lord. I only want to mention to those verses I just read that we who are Christian parents, we can also believe that it is the will of God to use those little ones who he has conceived in our womb, who he has blessed them already from eternity past to bring glory to his own name. Not only can we believe it's the will of God for us as mothers and fathers to teach them about Christ so that they would retain faith and walk as a child of God's all the days of their lives, but that the Lord would also use them as he used John the Baptist to be a blessing unto many others. We can pray and believe this. You remember that this has often been the example in the Scriptures 
of how God has used the children of Christian parents. And we pray that this would be the case upon, if not many, if not everyone, but all, many of God's children. All of us are a chosen generation and a, and a royal priesthood. We are all chosen of God to bring forth the praises and show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. But Zechariah couldn't believe that this would be possible. How can this be? The angel explained to Zacharias, not with harsh words, but with very clear and definite words, that Zacharias, that you shall be dumb and not be able to speak until that son has been born from your wife, of your wife. Then you shall be able to speak again, but you shall be dumb until then. And I have sometimes thought as, we read from our text, after John the Baptist was born, you remember there was the discussion, as we read from our text, as to how he should be named. The thought was that certainly he should be named Zacharias after his father, but his mother says that no, he is to be called John. And they made signs unto the father that what his name, what is his name to be? And the fact that he, they made signs unto him, at least to me it is an indication that Zacharias not only was not able to speak, but he was not able to hear either. But this concurs with what unbelief also does. Because Zacharias could not believe the word that was sent from God unto him, he also was dumb. So he had nothing to testify of. Unbelief locks our tongue and our lips so that we have no testimony. Unbelief cannot speak of anything that God has done in grace and in mercy or in goodness. He cannot speak of anything that belongs unto God, neither the judgment of God upon sin, neither is he, has he been able to hear the word of God rightly when he said unto the angel that how can this be? Because we are old. And the angel says, because you have not believed. He did not hear what the angel said, even though literally he heard. But you say, true hearing of the word of God is accompanied by faith. So that when we hear, we believe within our hearts. And that's why we ought always to pray unto the Lord. That when we are before his word, whether we are reading in our private chambers or when we are here as this afternoon, we would pray unto God that, that I would not only hear, but that I might also believe the word of God. That it would not become, as Jesus says, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Zacharias could not understand, and the judgment of God came upon him, though he is truly a child of God, and he did not lose his salvation. But it is a lesson within this teaching, an example of Zacharias and the Word of God, how that he could not believe that part of the Word of God. And then when it came to pass that Elizabeth brought forth her son, then it was the eighth day that had arrived. And it's interesting that the angel said that you shall not be able to speak until the child has been born. The child has been born. 
Several days has already passed by, and he is not yet able to speak. It is true. The promise is that when you hear the voice of God, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. When the children of Israel tempted the Lord, because they believed not when they heard, when they saw the miracles of God that testified of His grace to the saving of the souls of anyone who would believe. One has to testify that there is a need within me. And when God gave the opportunity now unto Zacharias upon the day of the circumcision, it was then that Zacharias testified that God is true. God is fulfilled His promise. I am the one who had not believed, and I am guilty of unbelief. I am as a liar before God, because I did not believe His word. I needed that which would persuade me in my reasoning, Zacharias would have said. But God does not appeal to the reasoning on human terms, but He appeals unto us to look to Christ Jesus, that we might sit down with Him and have him speak unto us and explain in that way that answers to the need of our hearts and not to our minds. Now Zacharias, when he was asked, what is he to be called? How would he be named? He asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John, and they marveled all, and his mouth was opened immediately. How was his mouth now opened? When the opportunity was given to him to repent, may we say, to glorify God by saying that I have been wrong and I have to trust and lean on the grace of God entirely. But that is why his name is called John, because the name John means the grace of God. And when he testified of this, his tongue was now loosened. How is your tongue loosened and mine? What do we have to say when we testify of the will of God and when we speak the word of God? We speak from the basis of God's grace, what he has done for us as Zacharias did. Not from any other basis or origin or avenue do we come except from the basis of God's grace which has brought light unto me. I have suffered immensely because of my hardness of heart. But now God has revealed His grace, and He has given the evidence of His grace. His works declare the grace of God, as the psalmist says. His works have manifested, been manifested unto us, and God's name is magnified. And many have come to a saving knowledge of Christ through this. His tongue was loosed and he spake. What was his speaking? As always, and it never changes. Praise unto God. We speak in light of what God has revealed. And that light reveals that God is just. God is a God of grace and truth. His mercy is upon them that will humble themselves and acknowledge that He is true. I am a sinner. 
Fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard him laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, This is a wonderful lesson unto us all, especially unto us who have been called to speak the word of God. We are such empty vessels, and we are corrupt. We depend on the Spirit of God. Zachariah was filled with the Holy Ghost, and as a result of the filling and the presence of the Holy Spirit within him, he was now able to prophesy, both prophesying meaning what God is going to do and what God has done for us. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited and redeemed his people. This is an amazing statement. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He thanks God. He deserves. To him is rendered blessing of thanksgiving. As you remember the angels in Revelation, the fifth chapter, and several chapters in Revelation. It is honor and praise and honor and glory and power and dominion that is rendered unto the Son of God, unto the Lord God forever and forever. The four and twenty elders, the representative of the body of all believers, bow down and worship the Son of God and praise Him. Why? Because the four living creatures which represents the Gospels have testified and shown unto us that he who will come unto Christ Jesus, he will be saved. And he is saved because Christ Jesus has invited and drawn them unto him. And he has delivered them from all their sins and filled in their hearts with, with himself so that they are righteous before God. And the Gospels testify and declare that come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because that's the next statement of the 68th verse fulfilled. He hath visited and redeemed his people. We can understand that the Lord has visited and he has redeemed. He has paid the price of redemption so that we have been freed from the slavery of sin. We have been purchased out of the prison of darkness. But it says in the past tense, He has redeemed His people as though it has already happened. But it hasn't already happened. Jesus is not yet born into the world. There is yet many months to come before Jesus will be born. How can the prophet Zechariah here, who is priest, say, He has redeemed because you remember God's promises that have been made are as though they have already been fulfilled. You remember what it states in the Bible concerning Christ and His death on the cross. The Bible says that He has suffered from before the foundation of the world. And this is because God, when He makes a promise, it is as though it is already fulfilled. May I give another example? In the 8th chapter of Romans, it talks about the children of God who have been called. And as the children of God have been called, they have been justified. They have been sanctified. They have been glorified, it tells us. 
Now we can understand being sanctified, set apart, belong unto God. We are holy unto the Lord. We can understand that we are justified. But how can we possibly understand that we have been glorified? For that has not yet taken place. But yet again, the promises of God are so true and so secure that when we base our faith upon the promises of God, we are living in that type of scriptural hope that shall never fail us. It is as an anchor into the presence of the living God and shall ever be the promise that shall be fulfilled for us. So for that reason, even though we are living here in this veil of tears, many trials and darkness is around us, and we stumble and fall into sin. Yet the Bible says that we are glorified. So sure and so great is the promise of Christ and His saving work that He will absolutely take all of us and we shall be in heaven with Him one day. With Christ on His part, there is no doubt that we will be saved. Now you and I many times fear and we doubt. Let us always keep our eyes upon Christ. As Zacharias here shows us, is the work of the Holy Spirit to always do. Which is to always lead us to both believe the Word of God that speaks of Christ and to speak the Word of God in prophecy that also lead others to Christ Jesus and glorify His name. That we may also experience the answer to the prayer of the Apostle Paul, who writes in the first chapter of Ephesians, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance is in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe, according to the working of his mighty power, the working of the Holy Spirit within us. Paul was never timid or afraid to speak of how God wants to give and reveal unto his children the absolute very best and the, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who was risen from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the glory of the Father, by that exceeding and excelling glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship one with another and with His Son and with God the Father, that we may experience the freedom and cleansing from sin continuously, that we may also know how blessed is the condition of God's children who are urged to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's the historical proof that Jesus is the Son of God. The house of David. The covenant promise to David was that there should always be a king upon his throne forever. And that king who is upon the throne of David is Christ Jesus who is there forever. And it is a throne of which, again, the fourth chapter of Hebrews says, is a throne of grace. Come ye therefore freely, boldly, to the throne of grace and altar of mercy, and there you shall find help in time of every need.
Then we have the spiritual evidence that Jesus Christ is also the fulfillment of God's promises. When he states, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, since the world began, all the prophets have spoken of Jesus Christ. Spoken what? The prophets have spoken that he has raised an horn of salvation for us. He has redeemed, visiting us. He has redeemed his people. The Lord Jesus Christ has always revealed this from Genesis 3.15 when it was spoken unto Adam and Eve. The grace of God that should be fulfilled when God would send his only son and when he should die and pay for the sin of our foreparents and for us and for all who are to come. There is a testimony and a witness that has always been the same <clears throat> from the beginning of time. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The Lord Jesus has promised to fulfill what God asked him to do which they agreed upon eternity past, that he would come as a merciful high priest and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, that we might be delivered from the accuser, from the devil, from the world, from our own flesh, that we would be delivered from the penalty of sin, from the guilt of sin, and from the power of sin, that we might, as Paul tells us in Romans 6.14, that we might always know that we are the children of God who are not under the dominion of the sin that we are. Beloved, we are often fearful, aren't we, of the enticements that are out around in the world that James speaks of. But, beloved, there is a reason why the enticements are so attractive to us. It's because we are sinful, and our sinful nature agrees with the enticements and lusts after them. But Jesus tells us, through the Apostle Paul, that look at yourself and deal with this portion first before you deal with the enticements outside of you. Do as King David did after, because of his sins, he lost his families. And the 600 with him lost their families and everything. And they spoke of stoning him. David had sinned. But what does the Bible say? David first encouraged himself in his heart in the Lord. And then he asked God to help him deal with the enemies without. First, the enemy within has to be overcome, which is sinful, fallen human nature. This sinful, fallen human nature, Paul says, shall not have dominion over you. Because we know from another portion of Scripture that greater is he that is in you than he that is our sinful nature. The world itself and the devil, which are all three of this world, greater is he that is in you than he that is of the world. He tells us again... <clears throat> that he would grant unto us 
that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. How is this done? Because he, the Lord Jesus Christ, will perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Remember the Bible speaks about the covenant that the children of Israel made with God. That covenant did not remain intact because they could not fulfill the, their promise. Their end of the agreement failed. But God now says that I will give and make a covenant with you, which I will keep and I shall never fail to keep that promise or covenant or testament, which it is. We read of that covenant in the 8th chapter and in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. It is quoted basically the same way in both those chapters. It also comes from the 16th chapter of Ezekiel. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth. I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. And that covenant... that he will remember, will say this, teaches us in this way, Then thou shalt remember thy ways, and be ashamed, when thou shalt receive thy sisters, thine elder, thy younger, and I will give them unto thee for daughters, not by thy covenant. That emphasis is there. Beloved, don't be too hasty to promise God anything. You can't keep your promises. I can't either. But let us build and trust upon God's promises and ask to help us that we might understand and see what is in that promise. The Apostle Paul says there is a hidden secret in the promise of God. But it is not a secret that is hidden that is that it should not be revealed. It has been revealed unto us. And that promise is Christ in you, the hope of glory. John the Apostle says that this promise is the promise even of eternal life. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. When we believe that promise, then we have that faith that overcomes the world. Even our faith overcomes the world. I will establish my covenant with thee. Not your covenant, but my covenant with thee. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Thou, that thou mayest remember and be confounded and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, says the Lord. It is worthwhile spending time on the 63rd verse of the 16th chapter of Ezekiel that I just read and try to understand what it is that the Lord is saying that thou mayest remember and be confounded, never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame. We often do too much talking, don't we? Especially when we are in the interest of defending our sinfulness. Especially when we look at others and see how sinful they are, and we have difficulty in remembering our own sinfulness. The Lord has spoken unto the children of Israel and said unto them, that you have committed a sin that no other people who have served any of their gods in this world have ever committed even toward their false gods. You have committed a transgression that has never been heard of among any tribes or nations in this world 
Who worship false gods? That's an amazing statement. What is the sin of the children of Israel that they have committed that is greater even than the sins of anyone else? He says, they have never broken their covenant with their false gods, but you have broken your covenant with me, which has never been heard of before by anyone. But I will forgive you. I will forgive you. And that's what the 63rd verse says. You will not be able to speak because you will be so overwhelmed by my forgiveness toward you. And this covenant spoken of here, in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, Paul concludes, makes reference to that portion of Ezekiel, when he says that I will write my laws upon their minds, and in their hearts will I write them, will I engrave them. And then he says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This is the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. All nations of the earth shall be blessed through you, Abraham, through your faith. And then he says, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. That's the devil, the world, our own flesh. We being delivered through Christ Jesus out of our enemies. We might serve him then without slavery, without fear. Perfect love casts out fear. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. And love is the fruit of the Spirit. So God says unto you, their young sister and young brother in faith, that God loves you. And He has kindness and gentleness toward you. He walks in truth toward you always, so that you always would be free. The free children of God. And you will know that He whom the Son of God has made free, you are free. Underline the word, indeed, you are free. So that you can rejoice not in your deeds, but rejoice in the deeds of Christ Jesus, whose works are acceptable before God and are praised forever and forever, whose work has brought you unto life, and you know the immortality that you have through Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know through the Spirit of God we have not the bondage. We are not in bondage. And we have not received the bondage of fear, but the Spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. That we might serve Him in holiness. That's separate from sin. Separate from what we are, beloved. Don't go out into the world to find out what sin is. Don't be so deluded in your understanding that you think that only there is sin. We are sin even if you haven't sinned for many days, many weeks or months or ever. Beloved, you are sin. We are sin because of the fall. And for that reason, God has purified us by faith. And we stand before Him in Christ Jesus our Lord, and we can serve Him without fear, in holiness. That means as vessels belonging to God, cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word. And in righteousness we serve Him, in righteous living 
when we walk in Christ Jesus and we show forth the victory over death, hell, and the devil, we show unto others and we can believe that in Christ Jesus our Lord, I don't have to be a slave to sin and we can do this for how long? We can serve Him in holiness and righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit in all the days of our lives. That sounds like it's almost impossible, doesn't it? Beloved, the problem is with you and me often is that we are still trying to make the walk of faith possible for ourselves. Beloved, the walk of a Christian is humanly absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. We need to depend to depend entirely upon the Spirit of God. That's why the apostle when he came to the I believe the Ephesians, he asked them, Have you received the Spirit of God since you believe? Because the apostle knew that they could neither live nor walk unless they had the Spirit of God. The apostle Paul explains the walk of a child of God being accomplished in this way when he writes to the Colossians. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, how did you receive him? You received him by faith in the word. Then he says, so walk ye in him. Then how are you to walk? The same way in which you received him. By faith. You believe yourself a child of God by faith. You walk by faith. Rooted and grounded and established in him. The word of God tells us. It is no wonder that Christ Jesus our Lord says to learn of me. You and I have many interests. We would like to learn more about ourselves, both more about our corruption and how we can overcome it. Learn about Christ Jesus and He will teach you a lot about your corruption. And He will teach you much more, infinitely more, about how to live in the peace that passes all understanding, which is by the childlike faith that he gives us in himself. And thou, child, shall be called a prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Two things John the Baptist will do. He preaches the awakening to the heart of sinners, that they might become not only aware of their sinfulness, the voice of the Son of God. And he stood back and he says, I must be silent now. And his voice is heard. And he rejoiced exceedingly. And then he said, please follow this. He must increase. And then it follows that I decrease. It's not the other way around. That's self-righteousness. But the righteousness of God that works in us reveals Christ. And He is magnified. And I diminish under the light and the glorious light of Christ Jesus. I decrease. And then it tells us. Giving knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. 
through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.